Romans 15, we are given this assurance, that the nature of God's word stems from the very nature of God himself. Our God is the God of all comfort. Therefore, his word gives us comfort that we might endure in hope as we wait for the Lord Jesus to return. No wonder then that God calls us to pay careful attention to his word because there is comfort in close reading. call a church. It doesn't have a particular churchy vibe to it. Uh, It's just a community centre. And yet we know from our past experience, whether we've gone to other churches before or just the way we talk in society and the way people talk, church has a building connotation to it in our society. It also has a denominational connotation to it as well. We talk about the Anglican church and different denominations are different churches. And while those uh, things may be true in the way that we use the word in our society, It's not what the word church means. And if there's ever a church that would know what it means, it's this one, gathering as it does in a community centre. Church means gathering. Church means assembly or congregation. It is people coming together as a group to meet together with something in particular in common and something uh, of a similar purpose as they meet together. When we speak about church and when the Bible speaks about church, it's talking about God's congregation, God's gathering, God's assembly. And as we explore the doctrine, the topic of church over the course of the next couple of months, we'll be exploring the place that God's gathering, God bringing people together, has in his purposes. What does God intend for the church? Is it just the happy accident of saving lots of people and, well, I better have something to do for them now that they're saved, so let's get them to meet together? Or is church fundamentally the goal or one of the goals of saving people from every tribe, language, nation and tongue? As we consider any topic, but of course for us as we consider this topic over the next couple of months, we don't just want to affirm the truth of what God says, but we want to do two other things as well. We want to affirm the truth, yes, but we also want to say what church is not, that we might clear away any misconceptions, any things that might entangle us or hinder us from God's understanding of church. Affirm the truth, clear away error, but thirdly, I want you to see the goodness of the truth. I want you to yearn after what God yearns after. I want you to desire what God desires, to see what he sees, to look upon church as he does and share the passion for church that he has. As we explore this topic, we want to know the goodness of God's plans in this world. Which you may be wondering, why on earth then did we read the three passages that we read? Because they're rather sobering accounts. If we're going to understand church in God's purposes, gathering, then we need to do so in the context of something else that God's judgment comes upon people as separation, exclusion, scattering and distancing. We've all had experiences in separation and we know what it's like to be separated from those whom we love. Uh, Discipline at home, how many times have you been told in your growing up experience or have you told uh, your children in their growing up experience to go to your room? Let's have a show of hands. Who's had the experience? 
Yes, most people. The experience of being sent away from the family as a form of discipline, exclusion. Or you might get grounded. You can't associate with your friends for a couple of weeks. We all know what it's like to be left out. For other people to enjoy something and for us to be on the outer. And we use it as a form of punishment and as a form of discipline in home life. We also use it as a form of justice in our society. In fact, most of our judicial system, our penal system, is based around this very idea of exclusion, of incarceration, of isolation as a form of punishment for those who have done wrong. It's exactly what prison is. And for those in prison, uh, of those of a particular uh, type and repeat uh, offender, there is even a further form of exclusion that people might experience with solitary confinement. We know that discipline and justice often takes the form of separation. And we know how difficult it is for us as human beings to cope with loneliness. I'm not talking about solitude, of going for a walk by yourself or, as many mothers have been known to do, to lock themselves in the bathroom to escape their children for a bit and pull the chocolate out from under the sink and eat a bit of chocolate and read a book in the bathroom just to have a bit of alone time. Yeah, it's a bit too close to home, isn't it? Yeah. Um, no, I'm talking about the loneliness that comes when we desire relationship but it's not there. And one of the big effects of the last 12 months has been that loneliness that people have felt in quarantine, in isolation, of unable to relate as we might want to relate. The inadequacies of the communication of Zoom. The longing for face-to-face. -face. And our society is becoming increasingly aware of the effects of loneliness upon our psychology, particularly for those who may be lonely in old age. And of course, there's the reality and the horror that each parent feels just at the idea and the possibility that their child might become lost. And for those of us who have been lost as children, unable to find our way home, we know the fear and the terror that comes with that, paralyzing a desire to hide and run and yet being frozen all at the same time. Separation, exclusion, being on the outer is a distinct form of horror, of punishment. And that's exactly what we see of God throughout the scriptures as he judges human sin. Right from the beginning, we see the idea of judgment coming as separation and exclusion right from the beginning in the garden as they're cast out of the garden. Now, it's important to know that uh, separation, exclusion, it's not, uh, it's not the sum of God's judgment. It's not the only way God's judgment is expressed against us. It's so much more than that, but it's not less than that either of being cast out of the presence of God. And so in Genesis chapter 3, as God curses uh, Adam and Eve and the serpent and then he casts them out, uh, he says uh, in chapter 3, verse 22, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and also take from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man. And at the east of the garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword to guard the way to the tree of life. 
not just Adam and Eve, but their son Cain, as he commits murder against his brother. God says that the ground will be cursed and no longer yield its, uh, its strength to him. He'll be cast out, a fugitive and wanderer on the earth. And God puts a mark on him that no one should attack him. And then chapter 4, verse 16, Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Judgment taking the form of exclusion, driving out, sending out. And we see this as uh, the, these early chapters of Genesis climax and as Jerry read for us in Genesis chapter 11, as people gather, gather together to make a name for themselves in defiance against God, to reach up to the heavens, gathering together in one place, building Babel. What does God do in judgment? He scatters them across the face of the earth. Chapter 11, verses 8 and 9, the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of the earth and they left off building the city. God confused the language of all the earth and from there God dispersed them over the face of all the earth. Judgment as scattering. And perhaps most tragically, most horrifically, we see the whole culmination of the Old Testament after century after century of the exiles into Assyria and into Babylon. God's people who had lived in the land for centuries, God's patience finally comes to an end. And in his anger, he casts them out. In his wrath, he casts them out. And they depart from him. And symbolically in the book of Ezekiel, his glory departs from them. The very symbol of God's presence among them, the temple, is destroyed. And the people are left without a place, without their God, scattered to the ends of the earth. In 722 BC, as we read uh, in 2 Kings chapter 17, in the ninth year of Hoshea, he was a king of uh, the last king of the northern kingdom of Israel. The Assyrian Empire came against him in the III, and later his son, Sargon II. And because Hoshea had tried to do a deal with Egypt to break away from Assyria, God destroys that nation. While we might see the political events that led up to it, while we might talk about the political processes of how Assyria would move an independent nation to a vassal state, to a province, and then to completely destroying them, while we might be able to talk about these historical figures and what happened, two kings interprets it theologically. Two kings interprets it and gives us a perspective on how God sees this scattering, how God sees this exile, and it's because they rejected God repeatedly, utterly, time and time again. They worshipped and served other gods and did not listen to the Lord their God. And so they were exiled. And it's not like Judah was any better, as we read. It's just that their judgment was delayed. And so in 597 BC and then again in 586 BC, the nation of Babylon this time under Nebuchadnezzar comes and takes Judah and then Jerusalem into exile. And again, while we might see the political events, the Bible interprets it as God's judgment of scattering against those who would rebel against him. While we can look through the Old Testament and see all of these things, the reality is everyone is under this judgment. Have a look with me at Ephesians chapter 2. As the Apostle Paul calls, particularly us Gentiles, those who belong to the nations, to remember what we were once like. Listen to the language of exclusion 
in Ephesians chapter 2. Therefore, remember that at one time, you who are Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision that made in the hands uh, by the in the flesh by hands, remember that at that time you were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Five in just one short verse. Five expressions of exclusion, of being outer, of being without, separated, alienated, strangers, without hope and without God. And this tragically, sadly, and yet entirely justly will be the future of those who reject the Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming, fire, in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints, to be marveled at among all who believe. The future of the world is judgment. And in that judgment, those who do not know the Lord Jesus cast away from his presence, excluded from the glory of his coming and his might, excluded from being able to marvel at his grace and mercy. Sobering words and hard words, and yet words I hope and pray lead you to want to stand up and run for refuge to our Lord Jesus Christ, to yearn to not be excluded, to yearn to not be separated, to yearn to not be scattered without God, without hope, to not be strangers to him, but to be able to come to him and using that beautiful phrase as we saw in the book of Ruth, to come and take refuge under the shadow of his wings. Sobering words, hard words to hear, and yet without them, we will never understand the glory and the grace of church, of God gathering a people to himself. Because we can't gather to our God by ourselves. We can't come into his presence on our own merit. You remember the vision of Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6 as he has a vision of God in the temple and God is so great, so magnificent that what Solomon said, this temple couldn't possibly contain you. Isaiah has an image of the, the temple is filled not with God. The temple is filled not with the legs of God or the feet of God. The temple is filled with the hem of the robe of God. So great and magnificent God is. And as Isaiah experiences some sense of the presence of God, presence of God, he is overcome and he says, woe to me because I am a person of unclean lips and I live amongst a people of unclean lips and I've seen the Lord, God Almighty. Our sin cannot be tolerated in the presence of God. We cannot come before him on our own merits. And if we have any understanding of church, 
that leads us to think that we can enter the presence of God without grace, that we can enter the presence of God without mercy, that we can come into his throne room without the merits of the Lord Jesus Christ, then woe to us and we're kidding ourselves and we are in fact nowhere near God at all. We need mercy and grace and therefore we need repentance and faith, thanksgiving. And as we think about approaching our God, we must do so with understanding the seriousness of the God we meet with, a God that cannot tolerate your sin or mine, a God who will not let his eyes look upon your iniquity or mine, a God who demands righteous judgment, a God who demands that such people be cast from his sight, and yet he gathers us anyway. What grace and what mercy of our God that we sinners, we his enemies, he would nevertheless make provision, deal with our sin, that you and I may gather, not just with each other, not even primarily with each other, but with our God. Any shape to our church life, therefore, must be shaped by the gospel of grace, the gospel of mercy. Why do we confess our sins when we meet together? Why, when we meet together, do we give thanks? Because we know that our being in his presence is by grace, through forgiveness, in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. There are many hymns, many songs that call in a triumphalistic way for God to come amongst us. Not so. We come to God. We don't gather together and then invite him into our presence. He gathers us into his presence and we celebrate the grace and mercy of that through our Lord Jesus Christ. But even if, even if we were sinless, yet we could not come into the presence of God without his grace, because our God is holy and he lives in unapproachable light. And that's exactly what we're going to think about tonight at Evening Church, that again, it's only by grace we can enter because our God is holy. Let me pray. Father in heaven, so fill us with an understanding of your holy justice, your righteous anger against sin, that we would understand the proper context within which we gather before you, mercy and grace, repentance and faith, and abounding with thanksgiving. So Father, please save us from ever approaching you with any sense of our own merit, but overwhelm us always with thankfulness for the merits of our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name you are amongst us. Amen. Thanks for listening to the preaching hosted here at Comforting Close Reading. 
If you're looking for other resources, you can head over to our main site, scriptorium.net.au. If you have any questions, our email address is write at scriptorium.net.au. Bye for now.